Episode seven of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast is brought to you by State Farm. During the NBA season, a clutch teammate makes all the difference with a State Farm agent on your team. You have someone who comes in clutch right when you need it, kind of like James Harden in the 2012 playoffs. Remember that when he was on Oklahoma City? He was the clutch teammate coming off the bench doing stuff. Whatever happened to that guy? Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can come through in the clutch, State Farm. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, one of the world's last great websites, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find The Bill Simmons Podcast, The Ringer NBA Show, JJ Reddick's Podcast, Vince Carter's Podcast, and a whole bunch of great stuff all on The Ringer Podcast Network. Coming up, we're going to talk about James Harden with my old Grantland colleague, Zach Lowe, who still works for ESPN who is one of the best sports writers in America and somebody who has been on uh, my podcast dating back to the old Grantland days. Zach and I taped this right before the season about James Harden. And since the season started, uh, he's averaging almost 40 points a game. He has taken everything up another level. We wonder in the podcast you're about to listen to, was there another level to go? And of course we decided, no, he averaged 36 points a game last year. That's not happening again. Well, He's almost averaging 40 right now. So this is an interesting time to run this podcast as well as the accompanying podcast that we're going to run that Joe House and I did about the last three games of the Spurs-Thunder Western Conference Finals in 2012, which you can hear as well on this feed. But right now, James Harden in the pyramid. My name is Bill Simmons. My guest is Zach Lowe. Here we go. The Book of Basketball, James Harden. I published the Book of Basketball in 2009, the same year that 30 for 30 launched. The Yankees won their last World Series. Zach Lowe started writing Celtics blogs. Was that 2009? Yeah. 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 And Oklahoma City drafted James Harden. My book had a big swollen chapter about the 33 biggest what-ifs in NBA history. What if Portland drafted MJ? What if Kareem signed with the ABA? What if Lenny Bias never OD'd? Could you have imagined a Harden-related what-if trumping all of them? I believe what if OKC kept KD, Russ, and Harden together is the biggest NBA what-if of all time. You with me yet? You want to wait? Wait, I, I'm, hold I, that thought. I, I, I'm intrigued already. Known now and forever as the Harden trade, it swung at least four titles and at least three MVP awards. We're still going, by the way. Will the Harden trade be picked apart 100 years later the same way baseball fans wonder why the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth? Probably not, because planet Earth will have overheated and blown up by then. It's all over for us. But how would our hypothetical great-great-grandkids comprehend that trade? Three future MVPs made the 2012 finals, all 23 years and under. They never played together again. And it happened because OKC wanted to avoid... The luxury tax. What is that? On October 11, 2012, when it seemed conceivable the Thunder might trade hard. And here's what I wrote. The closest we ever came to a money over championship trade, two different times during the Jordan era, Chicago nearly traded and unhappy about being underpaid Scottie Pippen. 
Both times they ended up keeping him and making a little history too. There are a variety of ways in which OKC could make history over these next 10 years, but trading Harden would be the worst. There's simply no precedent for it. October 30th, day after the trade, you wrote a piece for Grantland. I did as well. The day after the trade, OKC, here's what I wrote. OKC had three of the best 20 guys in the league, under 25, all of whom loved playing together. There are no sure things in the NBA, but that previous sentence was about as sure as it gets. They made a different kind of history, becoming the first NBA contender that ever jeopardized multiple titles for financial reasons and financial reasons only. It's never happened before. You want predictions for the 2012-13 season for me? I have two and only two. One, Miami is going to beat the Lakers in the finals. Uh, okay. Two, Oklahoma City will rue the day and trade a James Harden. Rue! One for two, I went. Yeah, what, well, I was like not, 1.5 for two. I was not right about the Lakers. At, uh, but Miami beat the Spurs. Yeah. 1.5 out of two. I'm giving not you like bad. 75%. Houston landed the league's best under 30 shooting guard for Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, and two firsts. In retrospect, a fucking miracle. Harden immediately thrived as Houston's alpha dog, looking like Ginobili 2.0 crossed with a Sloan Conference fetus. A lefty scorer creator. <laughs> wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> a lefty scorer creator who only cared about getting to the rim, getting fouled, or shooting threes, and that's it? Was he genetically engineered like Idris Alba in Hobbs and Shaw? You probably didn't see that didn't, movie. Didn't see that one. Harden's ability to repeatedly beat defenders with the same two moves made him unique and eventually more than a little boring. After he finished second in the MVP in 2015, but couldn't nudge Houston past Golden State, we really started picking him apart. Remember that? Couldn't trust him in the playoffs. Mailed it in defensively. He's a glorified DH. I think I wrote that one. You like that? You like the one, that one, glorified the DH, DH. Yeah. Well, in 2016, Mike D'Antoni showed up. Harden ripped off one of the most electric three-year offensive stretches ever. Remember when D'Antoni built Steve Nash, a high-powered, ridiculously explosive race car in Phoenix that only Nash could drive? That happened here as well. Every Houston decision, front office and coaching, Leverage Harden's unparalleled slashing kick ability, his surreal ability to find open shooters from every conceivable angle, and his herky-jerky southpaw game that's basically a one-on-one. Hey, Ginobili's on the corner, but I feel like Harden, he's a one-on-one. But could you actually win this way? Harden's Rockets played Curry's Warriors in four of the last five postseasons. They lost all four. Is Harden becoming this generation's George Garvin? Another historically great scorer who never made the finals. Should his rapper name be Southpaw Ice? We called Gervin the Iceman. We revered him for his famous finger roll. We relentlessly made fun of his defense. We called Harden a beard. We revered him for his famous step back three. We relentlessly made fun of his defense. From 77 to 83, Gervin had five first-team All-NBAs, four scoring titles, two MVP runner-ups, four top five MVP finishes. Harden. Five first-team All-NBAs, two scoring titles, MVP, two MVP runners-up, five top-five MVP finishes. Gervin Spurs lost 10 of 18 playoff series. They lost three conference finals. Harden's Rockets lost seven of 13 playoff series, two conference finals. Gervin Spurs couldn't get past the Showtime Lakers. Harden's Rockets couldn't get past Curry and Clay. Gervin, 0 for 4 in Game 7s. Harden, 3 for 7 in Houston Elimination Games. And in one of those wins, he was famously benched, which we will cover later. Gervin's legacy came down to the 1979 Eastern Finals, 
when his Spurs blew a 3-1 series lead to Washington. We're almost done. Harden's legacy might end up being those two Warriors collapses in 2018 and 19. Gervin's prime overshadowed by Walton Green Magic, Dr. J. Harden's prime overshadowed by KD, Steph, LeBron, and Kawhi, at least to some degree. Harden can still flip this. He's only 30. If he doesn't, we will remember the beard the same way we remember the Iceman. One of one, phenomenal playmaker and scorer, great in the regular season, only good in the playoffs. Right now, I have Harden ranked 36th on my Hall of Fame pyramid. Five spots ahead of the Iceman. Why hire? Because Harden won an MVP. And because George Gervin never gave us the single greatest NBA what-if of all time. Zach Lowe is here, my old Grantland colleague. Your thoughts. Greatest what-if of all time? I don't think it's the greatest what-if of all time. Like, you could really go back, like, what if Kareem had signed in the ABA? You know, you could, you could go, I mean, you could, you could re-engineer drafts. What if Portland picked Kevin Durant? But it's it's top five. It's top five or top ten, minimum. So here's the case for top one. It completely changes everything that happens this decade. Because if if they just keep them that extra year, and we'll get into all the mechanics of why they did oh, it. Oh, I can't wait. I think they had a really good chance to beat Miami in 2013. They probably win a title over the next couple of years. At some point, somebody leaves. I'm not sure who. I think... I think it, the town would have become too small for all three of them. And a lot of the stuff that happened anyway happens, but not in the way it happens and not with Durant just ending up in Gold State and basically landing on the best NBA team of this century, I would say. Maybe Unless ever. the 2000 uh, ever, ever. Best offensive ever. team ever. Um, so when you just look at all the dominoes that fell in all these different ways, I was thinking like, what if the Blazers draft Michael Jordan? Yeah, okay, he wins all his titles in Portland instead of Chicago. It doesn't ultimately change that many things. This one, so many teams and careers, and even somebody like Daryl Morey, who's probably out of a job if he can't pull off a trade that season. He had swung and missed on all these different ways to get a star. Do we still have a Sloan conference? I, there's just all these parameters. So that, that would be my case. It's not, it's not a bad case. Like I'm trying to think of a trade. Another trade. If we isolated just trade what-ifs, yeah. is there anything that even competes? Like the Pippin what-if trades don't compete. Like the trades that almost happened but didn't. Or like what if – is there even a, a what-if trade that competes? I don't think the, there the is. The closest one for me, I look back at my what-ifs that I wrote in my book, was when Moses Malone got traded by That's the 77 one. Blazers. Because if they keep him, then they don't have to rush Walton back. And all of a sudden now they have, you know, two of the top 15 talents of all time. They're both young. They're growing on the right team. Maybe they win seven titles instead of two. I don't know. Let's talk about James Harden's resume because I, I was just kind of stunned by a lot of this. He's, he's he's in our lives week after week. We talk about him. <laughs> we talk about who, what, to, what you know who's he going to play with this year, all that stuff. But you actually look at the decade, and it's pretty crazy. So he's played ten years, eight quality, seven All Stars, two thousand eighteen MVP. Runner-up three times. If you ask Houston fans, it's all a big conspiracy, and he should be like a four-time MVP. But you can make you can make a legit case he could have won three. Yeah, well, for sure. Last year I thought was a close race, and uh, the the first, the first Curry MVP for sure, fourteen fifteen. I think they they would. Well, argue what about that. the Westbrook well in two thousand? Yeah, and the triple double one. So there's four right there. He was my personal MVP in two thousand seventeen. He's had five top five finishes, five first team All NBA's, one third team. Uh, he averaged 36.1 points a game last year. We should mention it's insane. that. It's Seventh insane. highest ever. Highest non-Wilt MJ number ever. 
Led league in scoring and assists in different seasons. Only Wilton Westbrook did that. Second highest usage rate ever. He was 40.5. I wonder, do we ever see anybody hit 40 again after these crazy hard and Westbrook well, things? Could we see them, this year? Two of them just got teamed up in right. Houston. So you would think no, but at some point, at some point there will be someone else. There's somebody coming who will do this, who will hog, hog the ball to that I level. Hope not. He made 378 threes last year, which is the second highest number ever. He makes more step back threes than like really good three-point shooters make threes. I don't period. have those. I don't have those numbers. Um, his two-year peak, 33, six, and eight. Pretty Every good. game for two straight years. 10.6 free throw attempts, 11.7 three-point field goal attempts. You love the 10 and 10 club. You, you love it's, it. it. I mean, he created it. 30.3 PR. Um, 30.3 PR over that whole... That two years, 18 and 19. 45, 37, 87 splits. Everybody forgets what a great free, free throw shooter he is. In the 2018-19 uh, playoffs, two-year span, that dropped a little to 29, 6, and 7. The percentages are down. Free throw attempts down. Everything is down, and that's that's what's happened with him. Where even you look at, he's played seventy three playoff games for the uh, for Houston, twenty eight six and seven, forty one thirty two eighty eight percent on the splits. That thir- that thirty two is ugly. It's bad. And there are some. Um, there are a couple playoff runs where it was like I think there was one in the twenties. Like there have been a couple bad yeah. three point playoff runs. League leader points twice, assists once, PR once, free throws five times, threes twice, minutes twice. Career averages 24, 6, and 5, basically. 24.4 PR, 13th. Um, have we seen the best of them, or is there another level? Because that's one of the hard things to do when we're doing a pyramid podcast about somebody who's still playing. He did turn 30, I think, a month ago. He has been incredibly durable. It feels like he's gotten better every single year for the last five. Is there another level to go, or have we peaked? It's going to be hard for him to ever duplicate Last season. Last season was just, I mean, the 50-point games, the streak of 40-point games. It was, like, completely For a team that had nothing else going on for a while, they really needed him. But, but there is an argument to be made that there is a, I'm not, I'm not making it, but I'm saying I could see people making it, that there is a better championship-winning version of James Harden that averages, like, 27 points a game and really cares about defense and figures out how to coexist with another ball handling co-star in a way that allows them to amplify each other and so diminish each other. You could argue that that maybe is a better player than the 36 point scoring showman. I don't, I, I'm not, I haven't thought hard enough about it if I really believe that, but I, I don't think that's a crazy argument to make. My question, I think of him almost as a one man show. And I think there's two types of basketball players, right? There's like the one man show, Kobe in 2006, Jordan in the late eighties guy, where it's like, it doesn't really matter who your teammates are. You're going to put up this level of stats. You're going to do it no matter who you're with or against. And by the and way, you're going to have a certain ceiling. And in Harden's case, your team is going to win 50 to 55 games. It's not It's not empty. It's, yeah. It, like the team is good. That's probably the, I think LeBron was that way a little bit in 08 and 09 in 2010. Yeah. Where you look back at those teams now and Mo Williams was the second best Cav. And it was a lot of washed up Ben Wallace, washed up Shaq. Ilkoskis on one leg and and it didn't matter because he was LeBron. And so when you talk about one man show ceilings, he's about as high as we've seen. Um, what will be interesting is what how does that fold into when you actually have to have a great team? Whereas 2009 Kobe is probably the closest we've had to one man show, but just giving up enough where Gasol and Odom and Bynum and 
you know, some other people at least got to touch the brass ring a little bit. Was 2018 Rockets that won 65 games, I think, and pushed the Warriors to seven when Chris Paul was injured. Was that not, that was a great team. I think that was a great basketball team. So that's the question with him. Is that just bad luck? That should have been the title year. They have bad luck with Chris Paul at the worst possible time, and they should have won that year. They also had bad luck of playing. James Harden has had, it's like all the tennis players who were really good and peaked during the Djokovic, Federer, Nadal era. Like if you were in your prime during the five years where the Warriors were on their run and three years with KD, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? This team's unbeatable. They're designed to be unbeatable unless two of the four guys get hurt, which is what happened last year. I think that Rockets team was a great team. I actually don't think Houston has gotten enough credit for being the only team in the Western Conference to even like try to compete against the Warriors and and actually do it. That's an impressive... I mean, like, Kevin Durant got hurt and Portland got swept in the yeah. conference. Like, no one else even, like, tried to compete against them. Yeah, you talk about bad luck. And he's had a few bad luck things. Chris Paul is way up there. Chris Paul getting hurt when he did because it did feel like they had taken control of that series. But it's not, like, we don't— I know, injuries happen. But, yeah. but injuries happen to Chris Paul in May a lot. Well, and that's the other thing. They they took a car that was used to driving about at about 72 on the highway and they were like, we needed to go 100 for these two games and he couldn't do it. I think the worst luck he's had though was when the cap jumped in 2016 because the Warriors just getting Durant is an all-time historical fluke in the league where they have this Curry contract, which was super lucky because he had bad ankles and then the ankles healed for a variety of reasons. So they have him on this cheap contract they have Draymond still on a cheap contract, Clay on a very fair contract, and enough cap space to add the best offensive player in the league, unless you think Curry was. That just, it was no, the only year that ever is going to happen. We and if sit, it doesn't happen, I think Houston wins one of those and, years. And we sit here talking about big threes and big twos and big threes. So I think Golden State Warriors got to construct a big four. And it yeah. wasn't like a like the fourth best guy was like, yeah, kind of, maybe. It's like, they're all stars. Right. Like, all four of those dudes are stars. Like, that should not happen. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. The Assistant has been really helpful when recording these Book of Basketball podcasts. Very few people on the earth have seen more professional basketball games in person than my father, a season ticket holder of the Celtics, for almost 50 years. And sometimes when I want to ask him if he saw a player in person, what he thought of that person, I could just say, hey, Google, call dad. And guess what happens? My dad is called. And then we get to talk about the player I want to talk about. A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. We're going to go to five things you need to know about James Harden. Is a strip club involved? I hope it's it like can be. I, was, I had that in the unintentional comedy thing, but okay, you can feel free to throw one in here. First one, his playoff resume, the Elm Finn in the room. This starts in the 2012 finals where he put up a 12-5-4, and four, 38% yes. shooting. Yeah. And I think we've both heard the same things over the course of the decade. I know we're going to talk about the reasons on the Harden trade later, but I think him sucking in the finals was a big deal for Oklahoma City, and I think they overreacted to it. Interesting. He didn't show up. He was a little deer in the headlightsy, And I think if he had played well in the finals, he becomes untradeable. He should have been untradeable anyway. But the fact that he wasn't that good, I think made them go, Eh, well, all right. We bring Kevin Martin in here. He replaces his scoring. We have some assets. You know, we what did he give us last year? And you get in that mode. It's like the old recency bias, which is ridiculous. Uh, he was three and seven in Houston's 
10 elimination games, basically shot 39%, 55 turnovers in the 10 games. And the nadir was the Clippers game, which I went to, game six, when um, he got benched. Oh, but the, it was the nadir for lots of people, including the Clippers. Including the Clippers. the Clippers. That is like the nadir, uh, the nadir bowl. But yeah, he got benched. He had a towel on his head. Um, he was completely checked out, even during the comeback. And it wasn't really until about five, six minutes left that he even started kind of standing up and applauding. He was pissed. He was mad he got benched. He was mad at the game. And he had checked out. Can and I tell you what I think the nadir was? Or do you, am I jumping the gun? No. Give me it. I will always remember 2017, the year before CP got there. So it was really just James's team with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and all that. They played yeah. the Spurs in the second round. When remember Kawhi they, was playoff Kawhi that year. Remember they and they um destroyed the Spurs in game one in San Antonio. Everyone's like, oh boy. And they end up losing in six. Game five was in San Antonio. It went to overtime. It was two two overtime. And in my mind, for the last six minutes of regulation and the entirety of overtime, all James Harden did was take and miss step back threes. Like he didn't even try to get in the yeah. paint. He didn't try and draw fouls. He just like, they completely just ugh, fell over the finish line. And like, they sh they were they were a really good team. I thought they had a chance in that series. So I didn't make that the nadir for this reason. I will be convinced for the rest of my life he had a concussion in that game. Well, that was the, that was the following game, game six. Is no, when, he got hurt in game five. Right, and then game six, he's totally no-shows. So that's, that was the addendum. But what you described, that weird last end of the regulation right. and then OT... Where well, it was like, what's going on with this guy? I thought he was concussed. I and really then, did. And then in game six, when Kawhi doesn't play and Tony Parker doesn't play, and it's in Houston. And they're basically giving them the game. And they get rolled by like 40. And James is, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I want to say like one of 11 with eight turnovers or something just unfathomably bad. Well, I have that on his playoff resume in the elephant in the room section. 17, 18, and 19. They lose huge home games at home late in series that they needed where they just played like shit. Culminating in, uh, I think, the 2018, the, what did they miss? 27, 27 straight threes at one point. But I'll tell you, the 2019 was no prize. I, where where you have no Durant, you've been handed this gift from the gods, and Curry and Clay and Draymond are just tougher than your team. I rewatched the fourth quarter of that game yeah. in preparation for this podcast because I wanted to remember what is James Harden doing in that in that fourth quarter? Is he the reason they lost the game? Or what could he have done more to prevent them from losing the game? He was actually pretty good in that game. Five of eight in the fourth quarter, and he yeah. had 12 points. Houston had 26 points in a quarter. He had 12 of them. They lost that game. Now, he also had four turnovers, including, remember, he threw away an inbounds pass with, like, 90 seconds left that essentially ended the game. Like, you can't throw away an inbounds pass, right. man. Like, it's, come on. Um but Houston lost that game because they could not defend the same Steph Draymond pick and roll like 10 times in a row. And Harden was off to the side, not involved in those plays. So is that his fault? Not really. Do you wish he would have been a good enough defender that they could say maybe get involved in those plays? Yeah. I thought they lost that game in the first half because Curry hadn't gotten going yet. And it was one of those games where it's like... He had zero at the half, yeah. right? It was one of those games where it's halftime and you're like, why aren't they up yeah. 18? And they were up... I don't know, three or whatever it was. That was really an incredible game. So he has two, 2015 Clipper series when he got benched, five for 20. 2017 game six, which you mentioned, two for 11. The last two games against Golden State in 2018, 22 for 51 with 14 turnovers. And then his game six in No CP, no CP in either game. Right. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing you need to know about James Harden. 
the only member of the 800-500 club. I, I created a lot of clubs for this podcast. 800 threes attempted. Okay. 500 free throws attempted. Doesn't okay. seem like a rollout, right? The only people who have done this are 2006 Kobe, 2017 Russ, and Harden four times. Harden, four times. Harden is also a member of the 800-600 club, the 800-700 club, and the 800-800 club. Those are, he's by himself. It's just him. There's like a this personal valet for him. This is tailor-made for the strip club. This is where it should have been, right here. <laughs> we could do they it They right retired now. his number in a strip club. Last year, he created the 800,000 club. 858 free throws. 1,059 three-point field goal attempts. Whew. Um, he also is a member of the 250 club which is 250 made free throws and threes in the same season. I was shocked I by like, how few I, people I did like this. I like that one. That's a good one. Curry did it six times. Harden did it three times. 2019 Paul George. 2019 wow. Kemba. And then somebody who's going to come up later on this book of basketball podcast down the road. 2006 Ray Allen. Ahead of his time. His 2006 Sonic season is one of those where you go, oh, yeah, this guy... This guy was Sloan Conference before Peak, Sloan Conference. Peak Sonics, Ray Allen was oh, yeah. a monster. Yeah, remember the Sonics? Um, <laughs> also, third, also relevant in this conversation. Third thing you need to know, I'll give you a choice. We could either go with his pseudo-travel step-back three. Ooh. Is the most influential shot for young basketball players under 20 since uh, MJ's fadeaway. Okay. I feel like it's the most replicated, duplicated shot anyone's come up with in the last 30 years. I guess Steph doesn't really have a shot. Like You can't just say off the dribble three. That's too generic. He just no. has a million different kinds of off the dribble threes. But he doesn't have a one, like, that's the one that pops into your head. My buddy Sully, who you met, his son was playing high school last year. And he sent me a clip of his son just doing the hard and step back three in a game. And it's, like, immediately identifiable. Where how many shots... In the history of basketball, like Kareem Skyhook is the most famous shot of all time and the best shot of all time. And you see Skyhook. If somebody did a Skyhook in a game, you'd go, oh, Kareem. If someone did a Skyhook in a game on purpose right now, it might fall off my couch. <laughs> no one even, it's like dead. It went extinct. So you could have that choice for number three, or you could have uh, James Harden, who loves Houston for many reasons, but one of them is great strip clubs in, in Houston. And he's a legend. I'll take that one. Yeah, okay. That just needs to be, it needs to be part of the podcast. Yeah. Number four, this is another one he doesn't get credit for, and it's weird to even think of him this way. Incredibly durable. Yes. Do you know how many games he's missed in 10 seasons? Top of your head. 29. Good guess. 39. 39. Um, he's had four 80-plus game seasons. He's only missed 10 games in a season once. He's played 30K minutes already. Um, wow. I wrote, I did a whole Curry-Russ-Harden comparison in Grantland in 2015. And I wrote, Harden is built for the future. Pace and space, threes and layups. He's our safest durability bet. I mean, to add to that, he's actually just also durable. But when you watch like the contact that he takes on the free throws, he, I, don't, I actually think I was wrong. I don't think he should have been a safe durability bet. I think he takes a lot of punishment in these games. He gives and a he's lot just like a running too. back. He gives a lot of punishment out too. I yeah. mean, guys, guys don't come away feeling great when he makes contact with them. So this is crazy. Starting with 2000, this is the fifth thing you need to know about Harden. Starting with the 2012-13 season. So the first year he goes to Houston to now, seven seasons. Harden leads the league in the following categories. Oh, I can't wait for this. It's going to be a lot. Points, minutes, free throw attempts, free throws, and win shares. Three-point attempts? Second and threes, third and assists, 
third in steals, second in usage, fourth in PER. He's made 1,700 more free throws than anyone else in the league. He also, uh, on the all-time list, most career points before turning 30, he's ninth. 18,627 points. Here are the guys ahead of him. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kevin Durant, wait for it, Carmelo Anthony, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, James Harden. That is, those are your nine most career points before turning 30. I mean, those are some those of are- the best players of all time and Carmelo Anthony. But if you're making the case for Carmelo Anthony, it's stats like that, where it's like, this guy was really great before he was 30 for what he was. Yeah. Carmelo Anthony's a Hall of Fame player. It's just yeah. his NBA career may be over, but he's a Hall of Fame player. Anything else that we need to know about James Harden, in your opinion, other than those five things? No, we've covered it. We're okay. going to get dig in a lot more, but th- right. those are, those are. I think, you know, when you look back, when you said starting at that 2012-13 season in Houston, I mean, the trade is obviously a flashbulb memory for us, but like, there was no runway. He, game one, remember his first three games in Houston were like, I'm sorry, how many points did he have? Like, he just immediately walked in the door as the number one guy and was, like, putting up 40 and 10 every night. It was amazing. I, I think his first game was against Detroit, in Detroit. Yeah. And he put up 40 and 10 and some ridiculous, like, okay, I guess he's, I guess the debate about whether he's the number one option is going to be over fast. I mean, if you read the Oklahoma City media when he left, when he got traded, there was so much skepticism in the local media. And I only know this because I read a book about Oklahoma City recently where this is covered. Like, like oh, he'll he's about to find out what life is like as number one option. It's not going to go well. Right. There was a preseason game right before they traded him. This is written about in this book. It's called Boomtown, which I had just totally forgotten about, where Russ and KD sat out. And it was like, okay, here's the test case. And he had a terrible game. And the media coverage of that game was like, oh, if James Harden, if he wants it, if he wants number one alpha dog status, like he just had it in a preseason game and he couldn't do it. And this is what is staring him in the face. Like, yeah, it turns out he's all right. People are dumb is the lesson. Because if you had watched the Spurs playoff series from the previous spring, when he was 22 or 23, you'd have been like, oh, this guy's a gem. This guy's ripping apart the Spurs, who, by the way, made the finals and should have won the following year and then did win the finals in 2014. That was a great Spurs and team. And won 20 games in a row toward the end of that regular season. Remember I wrote a column for Grantland? Uh, oh, you weren't there yet. I wrote a column after they were up 2 nothing. I mean, I still could have read the column. I know, but I... It was like, this is one of the great teams of all time. Yeah. And then they immediately got smoked. The Four rest straight. of the series. Yeah. Four straight. Smoked. Partly because of James Harden. What's age the best? I'll start here. Our takes on the James Harden trade. That was like really bonded us. You had just started. I That was when you just started working for Grantland, I feel like. Yeah, it was early. It was yeah. early in the run. And you and I were both appalled. I was more appalled than you. If you go back and read your piece, you were a little bit of like, well, you're, look, this you're is just, the best Sam Preston could do. You're just braver than me. You're just braver about making people angry. So you were afraid of the of the thunder. Well, I just, I wasn't, I was like, I didn't like to trade, but I was at that point in my career relatively early on in the trade, I was maybe over trying to understand things that were perhaps inexplicable. And give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, your your written piece is way more measured than the podcast we did, which you can find on YouTube. That's because you bring out the other side of me. You bring your just like I got you. Yeah. I broke you down you in like five down, minutes. And both down. of us were like, "What are they doing?" Well, because the inescapable reality you can you can talk about a million different variables, which we will talk about, right? The tax and this and that. But like the bottom line is, they had a year. Like yeah. you just can't get past 
that they had a year before they had to do this. And they were decided, yeah, we don't need the year. And that was that's just you can make a bloviate for hours about everything else. That's the fundamental inescapable reality. They had a year, they didn't have to do it. And they also had a year where they were at least the favorites in the West. But when you think about what that Miami team, how tired that team was by the time they got to the finals and you'd had the young legs of OKC who went toe to toe with them those first four games. Yeah, they melted down toward the end of the series. But young one, guy stuff. One game. Yeah, young guy stuff. Overwhelmed. Ibaka wasn't ready defensively for yep. the kind of stuff that LeBron as a four was shooting around him, was throwing at him. Westbrook well, had a couple Westbrook moments. And Westbrook had one unbelievable game in that series. I believe yeah. it was game three, maybe. Yes. I can't remember which one. I wrote one. a column about that game. 40-something just yeah. exploded. But they win game one. Game two comes down to the wire, and there's a controversial non-call on LeBron. It happened right in front of me. There you go. So Durant you got fouled. They didn't call it. He wasn't a superstar yet. Right in the that baseline. close to being up 2-0. And yeah. I don't care how inexperienced you are. If you're up 2-0 in the finals, you got a real shot at that. I mean, that's, that's obviously— Well, think about this. They, they, that was like a six-game winning streak for them against the Spurs of Miami if they get that call. And at that point, who knows? I'm with you. Um, another what's age the best? Harden's beard. So I made this list a while ago, and I still feel like this is the same list. The greatest NBA facial hair of all time. I can't, I can't. I've forgotten the list, and I cannot wait to be refreshed. So here's what I had. Wilt's goatee. Really good. Bird's wispy, almost mustache. Didn't have quite enough hairs, but I'm really fond of it. Yeah, it goes with the French lick, Indiana. You it just know, worked for yeah. him. Mike Newland's beard. You're probably not old enough to remember Mike Newland. He was like the only bearded guy in the 70s. It was like, oh, that guy's got a beard. <laughs> What the hell's going on? <laughs> Said no idea what he was even thinking. An innovator. Dr. J had the elongated goatee with the big afro where it was like the hair's going this way and his goatee's going this way. It was just like great look. Uh, Artist Gilmore had yeah, the Fu Manchu. Yeah, just unbelievable. Shaq doesn't get enough credit for this. The beard with the bald head with the sideburns that okay. just kind of end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice look. It's a good look. It is a good, that times. is a good look. Uh, James Worthy's beard was another one really in the 80s. Beard. He took the Just, Mike Newland beard and had, had a little more yeah, in the neck. Really good. Looked itchy, but it was really good. And then uh, I have James Harden's mega beard. Paul Pierce's beard did not make the list. No, Paul Pierce done it. I had finishing last everyone who grew a neck beard. <laughs> The the worst look of all time continues to be just awful. I don't know what what and immediately makes you a PED suspect the moment you decide like I'm just gonna hide yeah. half my face. Like why are you what are you hiding? Why are you doing this? Um, another another what's age the best? This is crazy. If you just flip his 2014 and 15 numbers, his scoring average increases every year for 10 straight years. Wow. So he has. In oh, I'm sorry, 13 and 14 numbers in 2013 is 25.9 a game, in 2014, 25.4. But the last four years, he's gone up, the last five years, and then the first four, he went up. He almost had the perfect every year went higher, which has could never have happened in NBA history, right? I don't know, even know how you look that up 10 years in a row. I I just some inconceivable at some point, you get a you get an injury or something that will end this year, obviously. But all right, that's pretty that's pretty damn good. Another would say the best. Daryl did, really did save his job with the Harden trade. Remember, he 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 had I think the twelfth, sixteenth, and eighteenth picks in that draft, and he's like, I'm going to trade for a superstar, and just couldn't. And then had to draft all the guys, and was just exactly where he never wanted to be, right in the middle, where I'm not that good, but I'm also not bad. What do I do? Well, I keep all these assets. 
Hopefully somebody will fall out of the sky and then James Harden falls out of the sky. And he had, I mean, the last chip was the Kyle Lowry for Toronto's first round pick trade. And that became Steven Adams. But that was, the, I remember vividly when they, when Houston made that trade, I called Daryl and I was like, boy, I know you like Kyle Lowry. Like, that seems like a, seems like you sold a little low on a guy you really like and fits your team. And he, and he, you know, we were just talking about why and he said you know look I, I whatever draft pick we get is going to be more valuable on a trade yeah. for a star than Kyle Lowry and I said, okay I guess that makes sense he said the same thing to me and I didn't understand it I, I was like well why isn't Kyle Lowry more valuable he's an actual good player on a cheap contract he's like no people like the asset because they control the asset he was right they have the asset then they can decide who they're picking they're more excited uh, one last what's age the best so this Harden trade is already one of the most famous trades ever the next pick after Steven Adams, Giannis. The very next pick? The very next pick. If they had taken Giannis, OKC. <laughs> That's another one after this trade, right? Wow. They could have just said, fuck it. We're taking Giannis. We're going to put him in with KD and, and Russ and see how this goes. It was right there. Next oh guy. Oh, my God. What stage the worst? We mentioned Harden's uh, 2012 finals performance. Well, we didn't mention, and I, I am convinced this was part of the reason they traded him. Um, there's a long list of young guys sucking in the finals. Like James Worthy famously sucked in the 1984 Not finals. Not even that, like Tragic Johnson. There's like, yeah, there's yeah. A, the finals are hard, man. It's like the be uh, LeBron sucked in a finals. Like it happens to a lot of people in one finals. He sucked. That's all. I rarely do this, but I love doing this. This is a running joke with Russell and I. Zach, we've both been to the finals. <laughs> the energy in that building <laughs> you, you, we've been there we felt it we've been there we, we felt it on the court yeah no so, I mean the the one thing about the finals that you notice it's just so different than other basketball games is the two hours before where before it's like the guys are just warming up there might be like the local crews or whatever two hours two and a half hours before a finals game there's hundreds of people on the floor yeah and there's, it goes from camera crews from all different countries to, you know, all kinds of NBA royalty to just rich people on the court with passes. It's a great, it's a great uh, litmus test for who's actually famous and powerful within the media, who can stay on the court within like an hour of tip off. Cause then they start like escorting people right. on the court. Only like, like Wilbon can walk on the court. It's like Wilbon and tip -off. you, you can walk on the court an hour before tip off. I can't. They'll be like, sir. Sir, and, sir, <laughs> and little old rich guys with dyed hair. Yeah, we don't know who they are. Like, well, that guy's yeah. obviously a billionaire because he's just standing next yeah, to Steph in Curry. Two, in two hours, he's going to be shoving <laughs> Kyle Lowry somewhere in the crowd. Uh, um, another what stage the worst? Remember how much shit Harden took for his defense those first two years? Yeah, this was kind of the, created NBA Reddit. Basically, it was. I looked it up. It was a video in early 2014. And I remember I was on Countdown making jokes about his defense that I actually shouted out this video. The video was 11 minutes long <laughs> and it was called James Harden Defensive Juggernaut. And it was just him letting people go by him for layups. And um, Is it still online? It might be. It I, be. I forgot to it look. It must be. And he actually started trying the next year. And I do feel like James Harden is the first, is one of the only social media success stories where... Social media, Reddit, all these things were just like, you suck on defense. You're not trying on defense. You suck on defense. Why don't you try harder? And it actually worked. And he started trying harder. 
So everybody says social media is ruining everything. But they didn't ruin James Harden's defense. Wow. We have that at least. Okay. Um, here's another what's age the worst. I wrote this in my column about why OKC shouldn't have traded James Harden. Quote, and look, Harden will never be as good as Sam Jones. If he's lucky, he will become a more durable version of Manu. No. Well, I don't know. Why are we evoking Sam Jones? Because I was talking about Sam Jones during the Celtics dynasty as like the clutch guy. The guy who wasn't necessarily right. the best guy I, on the I, team. Okay, I get yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was kind of his destiny on the OKC team. Not the best guy, but the guy in big games right. who comes through. Um, if he's lucky, he would become a more durable version of Manu. He got lucky, I guess. Oof. Um, and his game six Clippers performance has aged worse. Okay. Let's talk about FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel Sports Betting app now available in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Indiana. FanDuel knows that in sports as in life, stuff happens. Sometimes the call don't go your way. Sometimes the shots don't fall. Sometimes you write a 700-page book on the history of basketball, and then you realize you have more to say. Well, in the case of those first two, FanDuel Sportsbook has your back. They're offering their famous third-quarter insurance on all NBA games right now. Bet the pregame money line on any NBA game if your pick is winning after the third quarter and goes on to lose in the fourth. FanDuel will refund your bet up to $50 in site credit. When was the last time your bookie offered you a do-over? Ha, didn't think so. Their third quarter insurance is available right now to all users, whether you're new to the site or regular, but you have to visit the promotions tab in your FanDuel Sportsbook app to opt into this promotion first. And if you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook, be sure to use promo code BSBOOK when you sign up. That's promo code BSBOOK. Now the legal stuff must be 21 plus and physically present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, or West Virginia. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires seven days after receipt. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Oh, all right. Here's the time to talk about the hard trade. Hottest take that's not actually that hot. I think I will go to my grave thinking, okay, see, love the trade they made. And that was as much to do with this as the luxury tax. I think it's a misnomer that it was just about the finances because as you pointed out, it didn't save them money for a year. So they the move was to keep them, ride it out, try to win the title, and then figure it out. You could still trade him as a restricted free agent. So again, you could amnesty Kendrick Perkins. There were moves to make. I think they just liked the trade. I think they looked at it a little too logically and were like, ah, Kevin Martin, just take his shooting and his offense, just put him here. That replaces the points. And then we have Jeremy Lamb. He's an asset. And then we get these picks. And I just think they like the trade. I really do. I I said this on my podcast recently when I had the author of that book on. I, I think the biggest misunderstanding of the trade, even X years later, is that it was driven by money. I think it was driven by lots of things together. But I think money was not the number one driver of the trade. I think there was something the Thunder did not have faith in about James Harden. I just didn't. I think they were worried about probably some of the nightlife stuff, too. I, that was always the rumor I, I that we had heard I for was going to talk around it, but we can talk about it. I'm like, gonna, it's the book of basketball I, pod. I, I, we're we're I, just honest and blunt here. I, I think that they looked at the entirety of James Harden and did not think he would amount, did not think he was good enough to justify the max if they could trade him for what they traded him for did not have faith that he would be clearly they didn't think he was as good as he was because if you thought he was this you would never trade him for anything yeah but there was something about him whether it was the off-court stuff or questions about 
couldn't he really sustain this? The finals. Against, the final. Well, but to, to that point, if we start him, can he do this against starters? I just, I don't know what it was. I'm, these are just theories. I don't know what it was, but I think they looked at him and thought something's missing. Something's missing, and it's not all about the money. Something just isn't right. I agree. Not our. He not. He's not our guy. KD and Russ are our guys, and he's not for some reason. So here are the actual numbers, and we'll let the people decide. They offered him four years, fifty-five point five million. Yeah, none of this makes any sense. What you're about to say is all completely insane. The max offer they could have given him was four years, sixty million. This is why it doesn't make sense. It can't be the it money. Was a four and it a half million dollar difference. The money. It just can't be. So. He signs with Houston. He signs for five years, 78, but it was really four years, 60 for the first four. So they save four and a half million dollars. That's one problem. Um, the second problem is they had the Perkins amnesty to get them out of this luxury thing and somehow decided he was more valuable. Third problem. They somehow decided to start him in the entirety of the Heat series the year before. I, I'm sorry. Um, I just can't. I have that. Now I'm getting PS, yeah, PTSD I, 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 to the to Perkins well, lineup. Well, it's, it's unavoidable. We're doing minus. a hardened trade podcast. We're going to get PTSD from lots of things. Well, the other thing is if just getting rid of Perkins makes the team better because Scotty Brooks kept playing him in big moments. And oh my God. <sighs> Here's another thing they don't get, they don't get anti-credit for. <laughs> <laughs> They never realized that the salary cap was going to go up. So that the year after they make the trade is the year that that Adam Silver and John Skipper are locking down the giant new deal. And he's also Silver's locking down with TNT. The salary cap goes way up and we're immediately getting dividends from it. Um, and also like foreign money coming in. They just misread it. You wrote this in 2014. The cap and tax levels have jumped so fast since the Harden deal. That now it appears the Thunder could have re-signed Harden at the max. At the max, not the super almost close to the max. And potentially paid the tax in only one season, the 2013-14 campaign. Here's the other thing. The salaries are going way up. Guess what's a great deal? James Harden for four years, 60 million. That's a fucking godsend. Also, this is why it can't be all about the money. Because so they they go through all, they, they don't pay the tax, they, or they 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 skip out on a scenario where they would have had to pay the tax once. Then flash forward like four years, they're paying the biggest tax bill in the NBA for a team that isn't that good. Right. The, like they're, they're spending like they're the freaking Paul Allen Blazers. So like, where did this come from? Where was this five years ago? It's like when your wife turns on you because you had made this one decision and now you're doing the complete opposite. And she's like, but wait, I thought you said we couldn't, but then you just bought this plasma. But I, that was, they were just all over the map. Ugh. The cap went up fast. I think they knew it was going to go up. I just don't. I, I think it's it's kind of the reverse is happening today, where teams are trying to figure out if there's going to be a China thing, and they just don't know. You know, you can project this and that, but you this know. was pretty easy to project. They had giant media rights deals coming up. You had Fox coming into it. We knew but we see, had two suitors, to, and all they had to do is research but it for you five have to minutes. Go back, you have to go back for like six straight years. The cap was like about fifty-eight. Like it yeah. didn't it didn't move at all. So you just get used to this reality. We're like, okay, so there's going to be a new TV deal. I don't think anyone thought within two or th within three years it's going to be ninety like that. I don't. I just don't think that was on anyone's radar. Maybe it should have. But it could have been five million higher. Yeah, seven. Million no, that higher. that was that was projected. The other thing we didn't really talk about, but I had in one of the Harden trade comms I wrote was just the dearth of two guards at the time. Because Harden was by almost by default the best under thirty shooting guard in the league, and then Kobe was leaving. Um, we just had it. It was like this was the time when like Aaron the Follow was getting paid 
yeah. you know, 14 million a year. Like it was just a two guard drought that we then replenished over the course of this decade. With including, but at the time he was the number one pick you would have had at that position, including um, two of the guys that Oklahoma City called about when they decided to trade James Harden were Clay Thompson and Bradley Beal. Right. So Clay Thompson was never going to happen. I think the Bradley Beal thing was closer. I, I think there I, were meetings on all ends about that one. I always heard that was the one that was kind of in there. I think with Daryl was just like, you want another pick? Great. It was like he, now you think about it, they, he would have had to throw in what, four more first rounders under the current rules? I was going to say, you, you look at some of the trades that have happened, including with the Thunder in the last year, it's like they didn't really, you yeah. didn't give up all that much. Next category, too early, too late, just right. Ooh. When he came into the league, was it a little early for what his manifest destiny should have been? Was it a little late or was it the perfect time? I would actually argue he came in at the perfect I was time. Gonna say, I was going to say, this feels yeah. just right to me. He feels like a player for right now and and was almost was pretty similar to the player he is now, yeah. just not kind of unleashed to this degree. Next category, nerd corner. Ooh. Harden was the first lefty to ever go for 27, 7, and 6 in a season. You know I love to track the lefty stats. Lefties. He's, if you're doing the lefty top five all-star team, he's on it and Bill Russell is on it. Whew. And I think Ginobili is the Ginobili. sixth man. And I don't really know who the other three spots are. But I know those how fast, three guys are How on fast it. do we get to Zebo? <laughs> There's got to be some lefties we're forgetting. Who's the well, most on there? Who's Chris the Bosch? most like lefty lefty ever? Like when you when you just picture lefty, like who's the first player that comes? Well, into I'm your going mind? way back, but so Walter Berry would be my all time lefty. He was somebody whose entire game hinged around being left handed for some reason. He would he would turn to the side almost to be more lefty. Jalen's on that team somewhere. Jalen, uh, to me, you get I, up, buddy. If you just say lefty to me, you know who I think of. Just for involuntarily, Nick Van Exel. I oh, that's I a good one. I just think of his jump shot. I, I don't know why. I just think he's like the most lefty guy. Bosch. Bosch, I think, is a starter. I think pre-max contract when he was still athletic, Rafe LaFrance is involved. Mike Conley. Mike Conley's a good one. Maybe he's the point guard. Remember the Grizzlies a couple years ago had an all-lefty lineup that oh, they actually used in a game? Delighted. Tayshaun Prince, Ed Davis, Zebo, Conley, some, somebody else. That I mean, that's... You you should get an extension as a GM if you have an all, a viable all FD lineup. Like that's worth a one year extension. My dream scenarios, if I was a GM, would be the all to create the all FD team, or then to get all the guys from Spain. Just, just like just I'm in the Spanish business, <laughs> <laughs> I want all these guys together. They have great chemistry, and you saw the World Championships. I just want everybody from Spain's on my team. This is why when we take over the Phoenix Suns, yeah, when's that happening? It's immediately going to be. Delightful. We're going to so do all sorts of crazy things. More nerd corner. Guards who shot 875 free throws in one season. Jerry West, Oscar, Jordan, James Harden. In looking this up, Jerry West in 1966 took 977 free throws. That's Jerry almost 13 a game. Jerry West, I, I don't want to say this too lightly, might be the single most underrated player in the history of the NBA. I mean, they did when they the do when they do him. the greatest Lakers of all time. It's like people are like Kareem's up there. You know, maybe it's with Kareem. Oh, Magic. It's got to be Magic. Oh, Kobe made a run. I'm like his name doesn't even come up. He's unbelievable. Is I made a huge case for him when I wrote the book because I you was look just at his numbers, his numbers, his, his career honors, all stars, everything. That dude was a. It, it, it's. He also should have won the 1970 MVP and got stolen. I did a whole thing in my I book remember about that. that. I remember that. Um, the 1972 team is an all-time team. 
And he's Mr. Clutch. They just lost in the finals. Everybody's Mr. Clutch. He won the finals MVP on a losing team, Only which has ever. never happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's weird. I, when I did the paperback of my book, I broke and I put Kobe ahead of him. Now I have a lot of regrets. We might be rectifying that later in the podcast. Ooh. Might be a Kobe versus West breakdown. Who would you rather have played with? I would just have rather played with Jerry West. I'm sorry. Kobe does not seem that fun to play with. No. It seems like I don't, I have the kind of personality, I have the wrong personality to have played with Kobe. He would have yelled at me and called me soft and I would have been like, he really is mean. Yeah. Like he's really mean to me. He's he's right, I am soft. Yeah. Like he, just, I, he just would have gotten in your head. It's fine. <laughs> can I just sit on the bench and collect my paycheck then? Like I'll be, instead of being yelled at by you every day. But who was the right person to play with Kobe? It's just like. Shaq. Like Shaq and. D Fish. And people from other countries. D Fish. Pau Gasol's like, I can't Ori. totally understand him. Ori. Guys Robert who are Ory. guys who are like shooters and just like don't 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 yell at me. I'm fine. I know what to, I know how to win. I know yeah. what to do. That's what Kobe like. Uh, one more nerd corner thing. Do you know? Um, well, James Harden's had six two thousand point seasons. The points per game thing. I actually like total points more because I think now you're mixing in durability yeah. with it. So you scored two thousand points in a season. It's impressive. That yeah. means you either averaged 25 a game and played 80 games or, you know, you played 70 games and you were in the high 20s, whatever. Here are all the guys that have done it. So Carl Malone did it 12 times, MJ 11, LeBron 10, Kareem 9, Kobe Bryant, Alex English, Dominique Wilkins 8, Wilt Chamberlain, Oscar Robertson 7, Durant, Gervin, Harden 6. What's interesting about that list is Bernard King should have been on it. I mean, he, you know, had a whole variety of issues, but that's, those are basically the best scorers ever. Well, so can you, can I tell you a name that I'm glad just came up? Because when you were talking about Gervin before. Yeah. And his Harden, the new Gervin. When I think about Harden and I think particularly about the playoff stuff and I have playoff numbers I want to get back to because we, yeah. we need to talk about his postseason legacy more. I wonder if he's the guard Carl Malone right now. If he's on track to be the guard oh, wow. Carl Malone. Just like unbelievable numbers. MVP, right? Carl got an MVP. Um, no championship. Now Malone obviously lost in the finals three times, um, but got there at least. Guard Carl Malone. That's really good. I, I, that's, that's I'm fucking I, jealous of that one. When I think of Harden. That's why you make the big bucks at ESPN because well, guard Carl Malone. That's great. Carl Malone is second all-time. I'm really jealous points. of that. It's, it, that. That's kind of the name that I— Durability, too. Yeah. Yeah, like just monster physical specimen, durability. Like people bounce off of him. Tons of free throws. Carl Malone was basically 28 and 12 for 100 years in a row. If you look at Carl Malone's career numbers— Yeah. And, and I'm talking all-star, all-NBA, like all those numbers, you'd be like, oh my God, is this guy the greatest player of all time? And if you just like took the name off, yeah. like 13, whatever time, all-star, 30, whatever thousand points, like this is the this number one player maybe I've ever. Oh, he, he was honestly one of the driving forces that I wanted to write my book. Because I was like, I'm not going to live in a world where 50 years from now, people are telling me Carl Malone was actually better than Michael Jordan because here's the statistical resume. I was like, I'm going to lay it all out here. I was there for the Carl Malone. Yeah, no one. Yeah. And anyone who was there. Frozen Botox face and big moments where his eyes would just get bigger. Yeah. Um, Next category, was he a one of one? The answer is yes. Yeah, he's a one of one for sure. I think he, I've never seen anybody like him. There was a while where there was a lot of Manu, felt very Manu-y, which was weird because it was great because not only was it a cross black-white comparison, but also a cross American foreign comparison, which you never get. Never get It's that. a double whammy. Um, but then he transcended that. Unintentional comedy wrinkles. Oh, boy. 
the strip club jokes behind the scenes in NBA circles are iconic. Um, I don't even know if they're behind the scenes. Well, semi behind the yeah. scenes. Did Kyle know about them? Okay. Any photo of James Harden without a beard is hilarious. Yeah. Like, if they really wanted to fuck with him when the Rockets are on the road, they should just put beardless James Harden on the on the jumbo truck. I think teams need to be more aggressive about that kind of yeah. stuff, by the way. The NBA would probably crack down on it because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I like when teams push the envelope of, like, making fun of players on the opposing Why not? team. I think that should be a thing. At least put up, like, high school yearbook photos or James Harden without the beard. So when we take over the Suns, one of the things I want to be in, in charge of is in arena entertainment. Because we're <laughs> so going really to— this we're Suns gonna, thing can happen. Look, anything can happen with the Suns. Are you kidding me? We got to work on Sarver. He did introduce himself to me once by saying, hi, I'm Robert Sarver. I'm the guy you've been a dick to for the last few years. So I've had, It was an actual quote. I've had multiple high-level NBA people um, introduce themselves to me, uh, but say not that I'm a dick, but that you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, uh, two in particular I could think about. Very powerful NBA people say, one said, uh, your boss is a dick, and the other said, I fucking hate your boss. I said, well, okay, nice to meet you. It was great. This, this introduction went really well You for left me. out, you also had the wife of a GM berating you about Berating me, me yeah. screaming at me from the sidelines. Yeah. How dare you work for that man? Like, oh, I'm just trying to write about basketball. Why are you yelling I'm at sorry, me? I'm sorry, did I ever take a personal shot at anybody? I'm just saying people are bad how at their dare, jobs. How dare you? How can you take that man's money? Oh, I just like, I'm here at the Nets game. Whoops, I'm here at the <laughs> basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> now people have to figure it out. It'll be like Mitt Romney's Twitter account. Um, defining good playoff moment. Oh, did he I'm have any so more unintentional comedy wrinkles? Well, you already got into the 11-minute video of on defense yeah. where he suddenly became weekend at Bernie's. He's Bernie. He's just like, is there anything? Do you want to like poke him with a stick? Like, Would you see him at the Astros game? It was the same thing. Him and Russ they were behind home plate. They looked into it. Yeah, but Harden was just like, it was almost like somebody wore a James Harden Halloween costume, <laughs> but it was actually James Harden. He didn't move for really most of the time. Hey, I wanted to tell you about the other basketball podcasts we have on the Ringer Podcast Network. Don't forget about the Ryan Rosillo podcast, where usually on Wednesdays during the football season, he talks some basketball. But when the football season ends, that's going to expand uh, to a lot more basketball talk. We also have the Ringer NBA show which is hosted by a rotating cast of Ringer personalities, as well as the J.J. Reddick podcast. Yeah, he's got one. That's coming back at some point this season. And you know, it's been in full swing, winging it with Vince Carter and Andy Finberg. And they try to have players from around the league, I don't know, every week, three times a month. But uh, all of that stuff is great. And if you want to follow the NBA during the course of the season and in the playoffs, I would recommend all of those podcasts. Check it out on the Ringer Podcast Network. Back to the pod. Defining good playoff moment. This is what I'm here for. Great. I, the 2012 West Finals, those last couple games against the Spurs are really great to watch. Iconic three And we're doing a rewatchables about one of the games okay. in that series um, that will be attached to this. But it was a real arrival for him and for the team. And yeah. a weirdly dramatic moment that got lost, I think, in history. And you look back, 2012, you have that. You have this changing in the guard and just an unbelievable series. And at the same time, Miami-Boston. Yeah. 
And Boston goes up 3-2, and those guys are being horrible to LeBron. I mean, they're saying every bad and thing you can say on a, a court. A Boston team that should not have been up 3-2 no. in any universe against Derek that Miami Rose team. opens the door for them, right? Derrick Rose blows yes, out his knee. Yes, Celtics stumble into the East But even minus that, just like you sh- they should not have been up 3-2 against Miami. They were not good enough to beat that Heat team, and they almost did. LeBron goes to Boston game six. I went to that game. And... His whole career changes. Is it the all-time greatest moment of LeBron's career? Is it that game? Yeah. I think it has to be. I will say— I don't think it's the best game he's ever played, but maybe given the stakes, maybe it actually is, because if they lose that series— I don't know what happened. I think Raider Bosch definitely get traded. All hell, like, Spoke get fired? I don't even know. The best game I ever saw him play was Game 1, 2018. That's the best game. That's that's LeBron's best game That's the best basketball game I've ever seen anyone play. That was like— that that was like the greatest team maybe ever built has absolutely no answer for this one player. This is not they can't do it. Like Draymond Green, defensive player of the year, this said can't, like can't do anything. Physically overpowered. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Um so yeah, I have for defining good playoff moment those last two games. What'd you have? So that's that is, I think, the interesting James Harden discussion going into this season. He does not have a moment since that since that conference finals. He does not have a playoff moment. Period. Unless you count the bad moments that we already talked about. Yeah. Can I read you a, a crazy stat? Yeah. I looked up James Harden career playoffs when it for his entire career in games that are within the last three minutes and the score is within three points. Oh God. He's played eighty-one total minutes. That's it. There are players who have played. 80 total such minutes in like one or two playoff runs. Like if you look at Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard has that many minutes in like one and a half playoff runs. Harden has 81 ever because even, and this is an unbelievable set. I double checked this before we were on the podcast, but 17-18, the year they make the conference finals, according to NBA.com, he had six minutes that entire playoffs because every game was a blowout. Like they made the conference finals and it was an epic conference finals and every game, the whole playoffs was a complete blowout. He has no... There are no moments. He has no, like, he's not, in, in those 81 minutes, he's 19 of 53 from the field, which is, you could take or leave. It's not, not great. Right. Uh, 33 of 35 from the line. That's a lot of foul shots, 35 and 81 minutes. Six turnovers. That's a very low number of turnovers. And again, like, some of those turnovers were really damaging, like the ones last yeah. season. Um, uh, but it's just that 81 minutes, just, he just doesn't, like, if you just. That's bizarre. They're just, he just doesn't have a moment. He does not have an iconic moment and I don't know if that that one three he hit to clinch that Spurs series I don't know how really iconic that is like I didn't he, even remember that he just, just doesn't he it. just doesn't have well maybe it'll be this year and that's what like this is a huge year when for he him. punches Russell Westbrook in the face during a game seven I mean like remember that when he punched Westbrook they were the same team maybe it's like remember game six 2018 against the Warriors um, in Golden State, the first game Chris Paul misses, he had a, just an unbelievable first half. And you thought, because remember, there were even people arguing, like, should they sit James Harden in that game and save him for just, a game yeah, seven? save their marbles. And in the first half, you were like, oh, this is why you didn't sit him, because he could just have a 60-point game anytime. And it went, like, maybe that's, but they end up losing that game, so the moment is a little bit tainted. But, like, he just doesn't have, for it a guy. Funny how many games he had where... Had he just had an awesome game in this one game, it becomes his LeBron 2012 Boston moment. It just things yeah. flip for him, and he just never had the game. It's just if you if you just had to sit there and think, you know, what's your favorite James Harden playoff moment? What's the thing you just will never forget? You close your eyes, you see it in your head. I don't know. I mean, 
Well, the good news for he had a couple good games against Utah in the first round. Like, I'm just, I'm like, man, he smoked Gobert that time. Yeah. The good news for him is that neither of us had a moment before we were 30 either. That's true. So he can just follow our lead. Yeah, I didn't have a lot. Of, I didn't have a lot 40s. of moments. Yeah. I, I, I had a great regular season fantasy baseball <laughs> one year. It's great. Next category is market corrector or market corrected. Okay. This is a Wesley Morris term. Your old Grantland colleague. Yeah, Pulitzer Prize winner. When like Tom Hanks market corrected Michael Keaton. There's only be room for one. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I don't think Harden had a player that market corrected him. But Curry's Warriors market corrected his Rockets team. And you just think like 0-4 against them, 2015, 16, 18, and 19. He loses four in five years. Now, one of those was a one versus eight where like That's they fine. just weren't going to win. That, that I almost wiped that one away. Okay. He's 7-16 and 16 against the playoff Warriors. Which again, what are they in the Durant era? What are they against the re- the West of the Western Co- the rest of the Western Conference? They're like essentially undefeated. Houston's the only team that even like did anything against them. This goes back to the if I K- understand if I'm, KD signs with Boston. Just that we, yet another what if, but KD is like, man, I like Boston. I met Tom Brady. I'm just gonna go there. He probably wins one of the Harden probably wins one of the next three titles, right? Unless KD wins in Boston? I don't know. It's, it's possible. The Warriors stole his thunder. Half-assed internet research. I only have a couple things. Okay. Did you know or remember that James Harden was on the 2012 Olympic team? I remember that. Yeah. Okay. I know and remember that. Had no recollection of him being there, playing, being involved <laughs> in any of the games. Well, he did not. He has yet to. He must really... have been like the bench guy, right? Was he like no, the twelfth man? I think he man? played. I think he played a lot. I don't remember. Any he, but he does not appear to have done the really what you really go to Team USA to do, which is hatch a super team for the NBA. He does not appear to have done that. No, he might. Well, I think he was like, hey, because Dwight Howard was there. He's like, hey, Dwight Howard, is he a good guy? And they were like, yeah, he's great. You should play with him. He'll <laughs> well, be awesome. I mean, did you see that Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, and D'Angelo Russell have already formed their super team? They've already said we're going to be playing together in a few years, but we can't tell you where. It's going to be the greatest it's gonna be the worst defensive super team ever Jesus. ever built can Devin Booker win 30 games first before he's I just wanted to get to you up on Devin yeah, Booker just, you know how to feed me red meat true or false was there ever an Oklahoma City game where Harden Russ and KD all scored 30 points in the same game three guys who have averaged 30 points a game separately I'm gonna say true it's true. It happened one I was time. Sorry, it was is overtime involved? I remember it. I remember something. I remember no it overtime. being a thing. No overtime. They beat Phoenix in March 2012. Harden had 30. Westbrook had 31. And Durant had 30. It was the only time it happened. Wow. I, I mean, was sadly looking through all their box scores like a loser last night trying to find this. Because that's what I did. I think there's a more efficient way to do I think there's a more efficient way to do this. I'm just a moron. Um, biggest what if sliding door moment. I never One saw my the favorite movie sliding doors. Is it actually a good movie? I get the concept. Is it actually it's good? The concept's better than the actual it's movie. It's Affleck, right? Yeah. Okay. No, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, okay. Affleck's bounce. That's, That's when Affleck. Who's the who's the guy in inside? I don't know. I've only seen it once. Okay. I just know the concept. So what if they never traded James Harden? We've already done. There's a second unbelievable sliding doors. Can you guess it? This is like all timer and never gets mentioned. So it's not. It's not. What if Portland drafts Durant? It's. It's something more no. reasonable than that, or more. Uh, they, more. They could have drafted off. Steph Curry with the third pick in two thousand nine, well, and it was seemed like it was 
a thing that might happen. At the 2009 draft, we, we, we should have done this, really. But We're doing so, it for Book of Basketball Pod. You and I are going to do a podcast about the 2009 it's draft. It's really an incredible draft. The beat goes second. Blake won. The beat two. Harden three. And then Tyreek Evans have, four. You have the Minnesota point guard Jamboree. Tyreek Evans four. And then the two Minnesota point guards. And Curry goes seven. And the Knicks are sitting there at eight. And all of their fans are like, please, can Curry just fall to us? Yeah. And there was like a chance. He, there was like people within Golden State had to fight really hard for them to take Curry as seven. Well, you also had Steve Kerr. Dangling Amari Stoudemire. Yeah. And to the go 14th get Curry. pick for seven NBA agents and thinking he had a deal. And then they, I think they stiffed him on it. I can't remember. He, he's come out and talked about it. I mean, yeah, that, he's that's, talked about it. That's an all time really interesting draft. And there are some, I mean, I remember looking at this when we were still at Grandland and thinking we should, there are some characters like in the second round and the bottom of the first round that are yeah. also interesting. It's a great draft. So if they had taken Curry, and I, I don't know why people were down on Curry, I thought he was, I, I have a good draft diary from that year. I was pretty right on everything. The beat. Um, the beat is just unbelievable. Rubio I overrated a little bit, but he did get hurt. The one I was missed was Harden. I was like, they were like, yeah, James Harden battled asthma in college. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Why did they take this guy? Why did they take Steph Curry or Rubio? But if you put Curry on that team with Westbrook and Durant, that's, oh my God. I mean, that's like breaks my brain. That, Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. And then potentially, because he was having ankle problems, you know, maybe they had their training staff can't figure it out. Maybe his career, he's just a bust. Wow. The 2009 draft, all-timer. All-timer. It's a shame to beat. It's unbelievable. Last category for the pyramid ranking. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. James Harden. Properly rated. That's how I feel as well. Properly rated. I think... I think People have immense respect for what he has accomplished. Like when Daryl Morey comes out and says he's a better offensive player than Michael Jordan or he's the greatest offensive player of all time, there's like just, there's some outrage, but there's a lot of like, I mean, it's not totally insane. Like it's right. like he's Our numbers actually, culture. He's actually that good. Like he's right. like, he's like offensively, he's that potent. And I think um, some of the playoff skepticism while that's often an overdone trope in NBA media or all sports media, like I think some of the skepticism is warranted, like very much so. And and so I think he's properly rated. Final pyramid ranking, 36. I'll just list a couple people before and after him. Yeah, man, I'm excited to hear who's before. So this is a list. I, I think I'm the only one who has it, where I moved people around for the last 10 years. Jason Kidd, 38. Steve Nash, 37. Harden, 36. And then the next two are Cowens and Wall Street. So you start moving into, once you get in the top 35, I need to see some championships. I just do. So the next five, the next six Cowens guys. Cowens and Willis Reed over James Harden are otherwise very hard arguments to make. I know. Yeah. Cowens, Reed, Robinson, Bill Walton, Rick Barry. So John Stockton, I have 30. That would be the flaw in the argument. I'm going to have to redo this, this part of the list. But John Stockton is like freak. The other thing is, I mean, he played for 20 solid years. His league lead, his all-time lead in assists is so preposterous, like career assists. It's like he lapped the entire field. So the thing with Harden is 36, but I'm also only judging him for these 10 years. If you're saying, if he's going to do this for a couple more years, now you're going to move into the 20s pretty easily. And if you win a title, I mean, you saw with Kawhi, Kawhi completely changed his pyramid destiny. Yeah, you know, I feel like if you make the finals, 
That counts. Like Barkley said. And you play well from an individual standpoint. It's not the same as winning a title, but if you did your job and you came through in the clutch and your team just wasn't as good, I think that like that's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. It's like if Jerry West had never won a title, but he was Mr. Clutch, and it's like never his fault. He rises to the moment every time. No I one agree hold, with this. no one holds his one and seven finals record against him as evidence that he was somehow you know, not up for the moment, right? So, like, if James Harden never wins a title, but he does get to the finals, and he puts up, like, 35, 5, and 5, makes a couple big buckets when they really need it, has, like, moments, like, that's... That should almost replicate a championship in your rankings, I think. And if he doesn't, then he's in that George Gervin range, but probably with better stats. The stats are going to be... The stats are going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, if he does this, he's not going to do what he did last year ever again or as long as Russ is on his team, but this... People just don't realize in the moment, like when you zoom out in five years, the stats are going to be like, oh my God, what happened? Harden took, this is goes to how crazy basketball is the last 10 years. Harden took 1,059 threes, right? Last year, the Celtics took like 383 threes in 1986. It was the, like a sign of weakness. The entire team, they yeah. averaged less than five threes a game. And Harden averaged 12 a game. So it's like, how am I supposed to compare these mm. these two versions of basketball? It's kind of Why did they even have a three-point shootout at the All-Star game in the 80s? Like, like we were selling, you had this shot that nobody was actually taking in games, but we built a whole event, a whole carnival event around, like, let's have a three-point shootout champion. It was weird because I remember vividly going to the games the first year they had the line and seeing the line, the 79-80 Celtics. And it was like, wow, that's weird. You know, it was just like it it just stood out in the court. But then seeing people shoot shots behind the line was really new and exciting. So I remember Chris Ford was the Celtics three-point guy. Bird really didn't take a lot of them. No. Um, but Chris Ford, it was like kind of his thing. He'd be in the corner and the crowd would be like, oh. You know, was, <laughs> but we didn't really know what it was. And Bird was the first one that kind of realized, oh, this can be a device that's used in – Big games. Maybe we shouldn't all stand inside the foul line. Maybe we should yeah. stand around somewhere else. Or maybe from a momentum standpoint, if I make this, this swings the momentum. The most famous one he made was in the game six, 81 finals. Yeah. He makes the one in the corner that basically ices the game. I think that was like the first I've iced the game three-pointer anyone made. But you go through the, even through the mid eighties, nobody really no figured out. And then like those Dale Ellis types started coming in. You know, it's like, oh. You know, it's an underrated it's not an era comparison thing, but you sometimes forget that it happened and you're like, well, that happened. Remember they shortened the three-point line for three years in the 90s? Oh, yeah. And like every, for a while, like every record about three-point shooting was contained. You would do the basketball reference search and it'd be like 94, 95, 95. 90. Oh, that's when they shortened the line. Remember Glenn Rice? It was like his exact distance where he was awesome. Yeah, he had, he, for a while, he and like that was the Dennis yeah. Scott, Steve Curry. Like, man, these guys were just destroying for oh that's right they moved the line in by like two feet or whatever well i wonder if we're gonna feel that way when they just get rid of corner threes in about five years Ooh, when the three-point line just, just goes, kind of yeah. ends and there's just that's it or they do like baseball's version of the shift where um you just have two people standing in the corner to take away the corner threes <laughs> and three people playing defense i it's like that like, i wish have we had more gimmicky defense in the nba it's you've hard. always been a fan of the full curve like why can't we just we just, it's just fun the full court press is, I think, the biggest missed opportunity in the league. The players would just never try hard enough for it. It's a lot. Um, 82 is a lot of games. All right. We digress. End of James Harden. Anything else? We left everything on the table. 
Dude, we, we didn't leave 4.5 million on the table, but we left everything else we had on the table. Uh, it, no, I don't, I don't think we, I don't think we left anything on the table except that there's a lot left still on the table in terms of his career. And like, he's still writing, he still gets to write his chapter of NBA history. And like, there's the Warriors are at the, the Warriors are dead now. Right. I mean, the West is wide at least open for a year, for a year. Uh Oh, don't start stirring the pot now. What do you mean? Well, I guess I guess yeah, the Warriors are dead for I think a, year. a year from now. The yeah, Warriors they could, are the Warriors a real with thing healthy again. Steph, Dre, and Clay yeah. are championship contenders. Um, and whoever they trade D'Angelo Russell for, maybe. So, like, let's see what happens this year. This is a big opportunity. Zach Lowe, we've been working together in some capacity since 2012. It's a pleasure as always. always Thanks for pleasure. being the Book of Basketball. Pod. I love it. Love it. Thanks for having me. 